Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about artists in their own words, which is a fancy way of saying one of us reads an artist's memoir and tells the other one about it. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on lead vocals, Mr. Anthony Kiedis. Yes, Anthony Kiedis, the Dionysian funk prince of SoCal, founding members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, whose sex mania, insatiable drug thirst, and most importantly, soul of a poet, made him one of the most dynamic and enduring frontmen in rock history. We're going to be getting all over Anthony Kiedis's life through... All up in it, over it, through it. Under it, with it, of it. Up his up his butt a little bit, maybe. <laughs> it, does his butt play a big part of this memoir? Actually, not really. He's not a buttman. Uh, how are we learning about him today? What did you read, Molly? I read his memoir, Scar Tissue, which I feel like is widely regarded as one of the most epic rock memoirs of all time. So this is a doozy. Uh, it's amazing he remembers anything at all. I mean, isn't that kind of the subtitle of every rock memoir? That's true. But <laughs> I just feel like that. I mean, and, and he says too in this sometimes that it's just like, you know, there are days or weeks that go by where he tell he can tell whether it's morning or night by the direction of cars going on the freeway. <laughs> so like, I mean, that's Anthony Kiedis' life. Shouldn't he be able to tell morning and night by uh, the presence of light outside? It's not that simple. It's uh, never that simple. All right. Well, before we get any further, we should introduce who else is on the line. Uh, we've got one. We've got Anne introducing's resident. SoCal correspondent coming straight from LA, uh, my longtime friend Nathan Truman. Nathan, say hey. Hi guys. Hey, happy to be here on the the pod. How's <laughs> how's uh sunny Los Angeles treating you? Oh, it's it's so good. It's I'm loving it. A lot of uh, I don't mean to date this, but there were fireworks within the past week, so that's been good. There can be fireworks all the time. Yeah, there could be fireworks. Whatever. Uh, Arbor Day. Yeah, Ar- that's where yeah, they set fire day. to the trees with fireworks, right? Yeah. The I ceremonial mean, burning of the Arbor Day tree. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that You can search Twitter and find a lot of those right now because it is Arbor Day. <laughs> uh, so, Nathan, how do you feel about the Red Hot Chili Peppers? I have a lot of conflicting feelings about them. I kn- They were... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I just was concurring. Yeah. Um, I mean, I listened to them a lot. I listened to some of their albums that were very bad, but I listened to them like all the time when I was a kid. They were a formative uh, band. They were one of the biggest bands of our uh, emergence into rock consumers or music consumer age. So were you both child listeners of the Peps? Define child. Like single digit age. Six, seven, eight. No, I didn't uh, start listening. Not to, actively. And I didn't really start listening to popular music until I was like 13. Mm, okay. But then after that, as soon as uh, our mutual friend Carter handed me a CD of one album, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I could not get enough. It hit me right in my feels for um, their uh, fluid combination of both funk and rock. You see, I've mentioned this on the pod before. One of, one of my first favorite bands was Parliament Funkadelic. Mm. I was a big uh, a funk head, seventh and eighth grade. And so... A real funk Yeah. Well, my two first favorite bands were Queen and Parliament. And so, really, when I got handed that Blood Sugar Sex Magic CD, I was like, oh my god, this is like both my two favorite loves rolled up into one thing, and sexually explicit lyrics, which was another big plus for a uh, 14-year-old boy. Oh yeah, I can imagine. 
Yeah, I I would just have to say that um, I was they were always I was aware of them for a long time, mm-hmm. but it was sort of in that in that valley, which I'm sure we'll get to, like in between one hot minute Californication. The was when I was, the like, valley first, like, you mean the San Fernando Valley, of course. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. That's the valley between geographically between those albums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't that's, really. I like, know about California. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's the valley I live in. I can't sure. say for sure, but I'm almost certain. I'll have to consult the map on my wall. So Nathan, but, I think what, uh, you're, what you're saying is that like when you got into them, um, you knew that they were supposed to be good and big and popular, but you were coming in at their worst time. Yeah, I was coming in when they weren't really putting out music, mm-hmm. and then they when they first come on the scene again, it's with all these ballads, these like very somber ballads songs that really stand up still like i didn't walk down the aisle to a red hot chili pepper song but if i had it would have been scar tissue or other side <laughs> i'm so mad that you didn't that I, I feel like i've missed out on an experience now yeah that might never happen for me <laughs> i bet yeah, if I, you, I bet if you went on I'm youtube sorry. you could find somebody walking down the aisle to scar tissue at least maybe a Are first dance youtube yeah, are there YouTube videos of just aisle walks? Yeah, you don't compilations. You don't go on to uh, <laughs> aisle walk fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aisle walk fails is a huge genre on YouTube. Somebody's got to monetize all those uh, aisle walk fa- aisle walk fail videos. Aisle walks. Aisle walks. Uh, yeah, like, like the, when people do the dude perfect guys. Yeah, do, like the they like launch they launch people down the aisle. <laughs> or like catch footballs at the end, whatever those guys do. Yeah, or like everything wrong with your with your aisle ro- walk. You're you're walking down the <laughs> aisle wrong. Here's how to do it right. Uh, PewDiePie just says a bunch of racist shit over your aisle walk. Reaction the, videos to aisle walks. <laughs> the what? try guys try walking down the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this uh, is all too painfully real. I'm sure this is all content that could exist and will exist in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if you do it, it's copyright and introducing 2017. Uh, I'll be filing a you claim better on lawyer up because <laughs> we're coming for everything. All right, or that could be your first sponsor. True, you could be sponsored first, sponsored by YouTube compilations. We can't rule anything out at this early time pre monetization. Yeah, we're open to all offers. <laughs> yep, tobacco um, companies, whatever, uh, pornography, definitely. If you want to advertise pornography on this, I guess although you don't really need to advertise pornography, it kind of sells itself, doesn't it? I would be interested in an audio ad for porn, though. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it kind of doesn't make sense, but yeah, whatever. Um, all right. Should we? I mean, given the subject material, it. I think it lines up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys are always talking about like sex rockers. Yeah. There, There's rock and sex, sex rock. Oh. Rock sex. Here's the thing. <laughs> He's made of rocks. Mm. Uh, here's the thing uh, about the Red Hot Chili Peppers that I think is the central question uh, to it. And and one that I hope we will get into at length and I might get into later <laughs> in another format because I find it very fascinating <laughs> that there's a single mystery that surrounds the entire Red Hot Chili Peppers career. Go on. Which is, can you be a good band if the majority of your work is bad? Hmm. And I think that, that even that might be a controversial statement, but I think that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are a good band that have put out more bad songs than good songs. Hmm. You know? 
Okay. Because they start bad. Yes. And they get better. Yes. And then they get worse again. Yes. And I think that there's a... Yeah, they must have like 100 songs, right? Yeah, definitely. More than that. They probably have almost 100 songs by time Blood Sugar Sex Magic comes out. Or after that comes out. They're like four-hour albums deep. Yeah. So is your definition of a band that's put out more more shitty songs and good ones, like more than 50%, would you say? And there's not many other bands who you think have also achieved this yes. ratio. Well, I think that there aren't as many bands that could be considered in the pantheon of all-time great bands mm-hmm. that are that high up there or have put out as much questionable work as the Red Hot Chili Peppers are. And enough that it makes you question, like, just looking album from album from album, mm-hmm. are the Red Hot Chili Peppers... A good band. That is the question. Well, I think we can explore this from the lens, if you will, of Anthony Kiedis's life and his his fiendish thirst for drugs. Because I think that might have a lot more to do with like the quality of RHCP's music than one might think. Uh, I, that wouldn't surprise me, but I'm uh, very curious to hear about it. Yes. All right, should, yeah, we, I think should it's we get pretty started? Important. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's dive into the life of Keeds. Uh, Anthony Kiedis was born on November 1st, 1962 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a Scorpio. It makes so much sense, guys. <laughs> what, oh. what about him makes him Scorpio-ish? He loves to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, He's born to a a Midwestern sweetheart of a mother and the most delinquent mustachioed father you could ever dream up. Um, His father looms large in his childhood. In the Kiedis mythos. In the Kiedis mythos. Um, He gets with uh, Anthony's mom. They procure a a spawn and then they split up pretty early on. Um, His father moves to LA and he starts selling pot amongst a cast of... Hollywood ne'er-do-wells is the only like way I can think of describing them. Um, on one visit to his dad's friend's place in Topanga Canyon, uh, Anthony says that he walked into a room and his father's friend was sitting there counting stacks of money. I could tell that the vibe was pretty serious. I thought, okay, I don't even want to be in this room because they're doing math. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's just surrounded by some weird low grade but high... Uh, high-frequency drug dealing. Uh, I think it's very telling about Anthony Kiedis' childhood that the uh, thing that was suspicious and off-putting in the room was math doing. Right. Yes. Yeah. Just addition. Uh, He is totally enamored of his father's rebellious California lifestyle, and he really wants to move to California full-time, which he does in sixth grade. He basically somehow convinces his mom to let him go with his, like, shit-bag dad. Uh, Shortly (laughs) thereafter... He's like, it's like a full-time math bang out there. We're just doing (laughs) math all the time. There's more school in there than there is here. It's on the... It's practical. It's like new math. Kind of new math. Sort of. Um... So shortly thereafter, his father facilitates his first experience smoking weed. This is when he's uh, in, he's 12. Um, there's a photo, there's literal photos in the book of him because they, they took a photo to commemorate the moment where he smokes weed for the first time. And then he immediately just starts doing coke and quaaludes as well, because this is the time 
It's the mid. It's the early seventies. Shit is just crazy. Everyone's on drugs. His father's got this weird crew. Um, he his dad took great pride in his elaborately manicured coke nail. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Uh, some parents follow the theory that you need to expose your kids to dirt and grime and bacteria early on so they mm-hmm. can build up their immunities. Mm-hmm. I think Mr. Kiedis was just uh, doing that, but for drugs, you got to build up your tolerance early on or else it's going to get you later. That's how drugs work. Yeah. yeah. He just... had a coke nail. Did he also have like a quaalude palm? <laughs> 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 Any palm is a quaalude palm if you believe in yourself. <laughs> uh, but he also brokered, this is qu- the quote is, brokered the deal. <laughs> To have um, one of his 18-year-old girlfriends relieve Anthony of his virginity when Anthony's 13 years old. So Anthony mm. lost his virginity to his dad's girlfriend. Uh, disgusting. Ponder the, Ooh, the psychosexual ramifications of that. Yeah, that's the kind of thing the that uh, that you might that might end up making you sing about uh, uh, jam and the lamb uh, at age 55. <laughs> <laughs> Is that do what? What is that from? Uh, that's uh, a sort of psycho sexy lyric. Okay, isn't that in sort of psycho sexy? Uh, I don't know all the words. I'd have to, I have to call a friend who knows all the words. <laughs> is that friend me? Uh, it's Eric. But you, pre- do you know all the words? I'd have to go. I'd, it's like the alphabet. I'd have to start from the beginning, but then I could go all the way through. Oh yeah, it's in the Lady Cop yeah, uh, verse. I'm looking it up right now. I got stopped by a lady cop in that automobile. She said, get out and spread your legs. And then she tried to cop a field. That cop, she was all dressed in blue. Was she pretty? Boy, I'm telling you, she sucked my butt with her big black stick. I said, what's up now? Suck my dick. Like a ram. Like a ram getting ready to jam the lamb. She whimpered just a little when she felt my hand. There we go. Yes. All right, great. Thank you, Chris, for that beautiful nursery rhyme. Has there ever been like a Mrs. Officer or psychosexual psychosexual mashup? That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Or have they like done it together? Uh, Yeah. Lil Wayne and the Red Hot Chili Peppers should go uh, on the Monsters of Banging Lady Cops tour. (laughs) I think it could be show i yeah. don't get me wrong a little wayne uh red hot chili peppers live collabo would be awesome yeah i could what I could what if little wayne that. replaced uh josh klinghoff on guitar for the tour? <laughs> and just did that shitty solo he did that time he uh played snl where he just like yeah. noodled two notes over and over uh so anthony is introduced to the world of sexual intercourse whoa and he immediately starts up a relationship with a 24 year old girl although he says sex was still pretty sporadic for me in the eighth grade (laughs) (laughs) which it's like don't feel bad anthony i'm pretty sure it's sporadic for most people (laughs) oh man that's uh gross yeah i mean the 24 year old listen it was a different time things were different back then i guess i I don't know if we're supposed to feel uh, proud for young Anthony for pulling a 24-year-old. I just feel sad for the 24-year-old. That is uh, low standards. I don't feel great for anybody <laughs> um, except for whoever was selling the drugs to these people because they were making lots of money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, wasn't that 
Wasn't that Anthony's dad? Yeah. Well, I mean, he seems kind of broke sort of constantly and also doesn't make very good <laughs> deals. Like he was at one point he runs weed from California to Michigan and he only gets paid like 250 bucks That's for just... transporting like a life sentences worth of marijuana across state lines. Like That's just bad margins. Yeah. I don't think he has a full grip on the finances despite all the math going on in that house. Uh, he was Do you using... Think he... Ran with the same Michigan crew that Tim Allen flipped on. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the same time, yeah, right. Hey, I, I want to see the uh, Michigan border side of the road uh, uh, deal between a young Tim Allen and an old Mr. Kiedis. They could make a like Breaking Bad style show about that concept. Yeah, that's the season finale of I'm Dying Up Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Uh, was it Mr. Kiedis using young Anthony as a, uh, a honeypot for his drug op? Um, it seems like he was kind of involved, but not really involved, but kind of involved. More involved than you maybe want your 12-year-old son to be in your drug operation. But yeah. Well, he was he was like the um, the deal that got them in the door. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, what's what's the dad's name? Is, is he like Anthony Sr.? Or? He's, his name is John Kiedis. He goes by okay. Jack. And then midway through Anthony's childhood, he changed his name to Blackie for some reason. <laughs> Blackie Kiedis. It's because he wants to be an actor. He's like an aspiring actor at a certain point. And so he changes his name to Blackie and starts doing like serious method acting and like cross-dressing and like walking in the street in women's clothes and making Anthony feel like kind of weird about his masculinity. It's a whole thing. I don't even think I put this in the summary of the book because like (laughs) there are so many tangents going on in this book right now. I tried to narrow it to the most easily talk aboutable shit, but there's some shit that is just not... We can only do get talked about. Uh, the most surface level uh, psychosexual mindfuckery of Anthony's relationship with his father. More or less. There's a <laughs> there's only so much rope he's, he's given us, but we can try. Um, is this is is this like an as an as told to book or? I believe he wrote this uh, himself with with Larry Sloman. <laughs> I don't know who Larry Sloman is, but he did a good job of. Um, Transcribing, I think, the basic essence of Anthony Kiedis. I honestly think personality r- rock memoir co-writer is an incredibly ungrateful job in literature. Yeah, that's a lot of bullshit to go through, and especially being told to by a rock guy, where I'm sure you know everything from the color of his socks on a certain day to the precise quantity in pounds of blow being done mm-hmm. uh, is given the same weight. Yes, in pounds <laughs> in, of blow, in pounds of blow, and socks. Yes. Right. Pounds of socks. Let's keep going. Anthony starts high school and along the way in his childhood, he's become a bit of a misfit because he's had this weird life partying with his dad's friends when most people are just chill to watch television and eat some sugar cereal. Um, So he's gotten kind of odd and he has one friend named Tony. And one day uh, early on in high school, a strange kid comes up to Tony and puts him in a headlock. And Anthony grabs this stranger kid and says, if you touch him again like that, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. This strange kid is Flea. (laughs) Yay. Yay! Welcome Flea. Welcome Flea. An early comer into the scene. It's shocking how early they meet each other. It's a, I mean, (laughs) it's kind of amazing that, you know, the nexus of this band is like two guys being friends since, uh, they were just little little dingus boys. That uh, the own the the story that that reminds me the most of is Mike Watt, Mike Watt and D Boone meeting where Mike Watt was just walking through the park after class and D Boone uh, falls on him out of a tree 
when they're like <laughs> in freshman year of high school and then they form a band and spend the next like 10 years of their life together amazing yeah people should fall out of trees onto people more often yeah go climb a tree and fall out of, onto somebody they might just become your creative partner for that, the majority of the rest of your life that's my new dating app tree, tree faller <laughs> it shows you which trees are around which people oh no i know um i know how what that would be called it would be called limb <gasps> like go out on yeah. a limb oh, oh totally yeah that's good <laughs> trademark and introducing 2017 we are just crushing it on We're the gonna ideas. We're going to figure today. out some way to monetize this without getting any listeners first. Money, 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 money. Anyway, um, Flea and Anthony become inseparable. Anthony is impressed by Flea because his lip is always swollen from playing the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony also almost hey, immediately. Hey, look at that kid over there and his cool big lip. Yeah. I mean, he's he does not fuck around with his trumpet. Constant, constant blow. Well, do you, yeah, do you think Anthony mistook it for like a Coke lip? Like a <laughs> <laughs> Just full of cocaine. Um, Anthony also immediately smushes Flea's sister, which I think that's just amazing that their relationship has like like survived that at all. Because that could make things pretty it, weird. In, especially in like eighth grade. Yeah, like that, that could be a friendship killer. Yeah, that me. could be the end. Yikes. Yeah. But Flea was just like, cool. Really, all you Red Hot Chili Pepper fans out there, the most thing, the thing you need to be most thankful for is Flea's sister being chill about the whole thing. She sounds extremely chill. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Anthony meets this guy um, who plays guitar in what he considers to be a silly band called Anthem, and that's Anthem with a Y, because the seventies. Yeah. Um, and this guy is Hillel Slovak, and then the three dudes become inseparable. So we have a little nexus of of early RHCP band members going on. I like the trend in the late 70s that to make something cool, you replace a vowel with a Y. Like, isn't Stryker one of those? Sure. I mean, sticks, sticks. but obviously that's like a historical. But now it's replace, it's like replace a consonant with two consonants. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very true. Or just put a space in between each letter. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for emoji band names. Yeah. Like hand claps between every word or something. Like clap your hand, say yeah, but with emojis. <laughs> yes, I can uh, I can see that. It's not too late for them to change it. They oh. should do a rebrand and change it for the youngs. Yeah. That's a good way to come back. For the ute. You had that one album, <laughs> but now it's your time to come back. Clap, clap your hands, hand, say, say yeah. yeah. I feel like there would be a big controversy over the like the flesh tone they choose for the clap emoji? Ooh, I think you have to go with the neutral yellow. Yeah, the Simpsons hand tone. You wouldn't say, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know why that that is the color that it is, but that's the avoidance of, of problematism. It's really, I think, the wuss hand, hand tone because it means that you don't want to commit to anything because you don't want to make a statement about uh, what you person you are or are representing or sure. anything. Sure. It's really a cop-out, and that's why it's the only one I use. Really? Yeah. I do palest as a default, and then in the summer I pick the slightly tanner one. So you like to reflect <laughs> yourself. I do. I'm also incredibly jaundiced, so I think it is actually the most representative of me. Are you jaundiced? Do we need to take a take you to a specialist? No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Do you have beta carotene poisoning? Yep. Mmm. Sweet potatoes. Don't have too many. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the PSA, health PSA. All right, what's mm. up next? So the boys, 
are back in town. Just kidding. They're still in the same town. Los Angeles. <laughs> and then they get into the LA late 70s punk scene, which, hell yeah. Anthony's first ever show is a daytime concert at the Palladium with Devo and the Germs, and he loves it. Oh, my God. My, my beautiful, precious Devo. The most punk band of all. Sort of responsible for RHCP in I, a certain way. I mean, honestly, that makes sense. Uh, Devo is an incredible, incredibly funky band. If you think of uh, funk and then take a photo negative mm-hmm. of funk, that's Devo. It's like the attempt to, the purposeful attempt to know funk, understand funk, and then strip all elements of funkiness out of your music. It is the, the inverse of funk. It is the anti-funk. Oh. But you have to be very conscious about it. They know what they're trying to remove. <laughs> they Devo's know what they're great. doing. Devo's um, great and perfect. What do you I think, won't hear anything else. Like, what do you think Mark Mothersbaugh and Darby Crash talked about that day? <laughs> uh, a lot of Mark Mothersbaugh asking Darby Crash to like not drool on his synthesizers <laughs> or else they'll explode. <laughs> and then just Darby Crash getting like really aggravated yes uh don't tell me what to do (laughs) yes (laughs) i don't know what do you think jane goodall talks about when she studies chimpanzees (laughs) (laughs) uh that might be a little too mean darby crash is a legitimate wild person though and chimpanzees are very smart and sensitive and and can learn sign language and also incredibly violent true well and some people consider his lyrics to be poetry which is you know Chimpanzee-esque. Yes. <laughs> I might have the wrong impression of Darby Crash. I only know him as a as a walking disaster. He did run around and scream and like, yeah. No, I think you have the right impression. <laughs> His name is, is I mean, Darby your impression Crash. Is, what do you want? Your impression is decline of Western civilization, right? Yes. Yeah, same. That sounds about right. Yep. Give me your beer. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how we've talked. Nice. Get the sound effects in there. Um, so the boys... It sounded like you opened like three in a row. Yeah. I just lined up a, a true detective number of, of Lone Star Tall Boys that I'm going to uh, slowly drink and then carve into the figures of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice. <laughs> do you, If you have a blowtorch, you could do like a little metal mold system. Funk rock is a flat circle. <laughs> is it though? We'll learn. We'll learn this as we go. Um, yeah. So the boys... Have pretty standard, you know, Southern California, late 70s antics, skateboarding, smoking pot, school vandalism. Yet, Anthony managed to still get into UCLA because his grades are still good. Um, he's All that he's early been, childhood math. He's been pulling straight A's despite being a, like, literal hellion. So, good for him. That actually might be the wildest curveball you throw, throw me this podcast. Yeah, that he was, like, a, you know, cum laude uh, graduate of wherever high school he when i forget um, didn't they all go they went to beverly hills high school too yeah i think it, there's like one high school with right in the middle of beverly hills that like every famous person goes to and i think that they're alumni of it or it's called like fairfax or something i forget there is a lot i mean with all the the coke and the heroin in this book i forgot things like <laughs> place Weird. names yes um under under the bridge that's where they went to high school <laughs> under a bridge somewhere <laughs> <laughs> under the bridge academy under the bridge uh yeah high school it was great 
uh, good football team. Anyway. <laughs> so is, you know how like Dexter Holland has a PhD in microbiology? Is this from the TV show Dexter? It's from the TV show The Band, The Offspring. Oh, Oh, I uh, yes, the offspring, the band, the TV show. I think he like just got it. He's been a PhD candidate for since like Ignition came out. <laughs> what I'm like always interested to or, hear. Sorry, Ixnay and the Ombre. My bad. I'm always interested to hear trivia like that, but it also seems like every tenth band is fronted by an astrophysicist. <laughs> so, or like has a member who just happens to be an astrophysicist or a microbiologist or like a degree in constitutional law mm-hmm. or has been on the space shuttle or yeah that's why coding broke up <laughs> <laughs> really uh yeah well i know that the bass player is like he works on like space in montana <laughs> didn't and, his memory plan also have to break up so one of them could go work at nasa the drummer is like a nasa engineer who is in a v- incredibly popular indie rock band in his spare time. Yeah, I think they have to tour around his NASA schedule, like for real. <laughs> Amazing. When he's not in space, the dismemberment plane can go on tour. Yeah. <laughs> he probably gets so roasted by his nerdy colleagues, like, ugh, he's got to go on tour again. What a loser. <laughs> not going oh, in look- space like all the rest of us here at NASA. <laughs> Our company look- retreat to space. Look at this guy with arm muscles. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. Um, so yeah, Anthony Kiedis, he gets into UCLA, um, but he drops out after a year because shooting coke and doing other drugs become his main priority. Uh, sample quote, I've been up all night on LSD and I can't hack my astronomy class right now. That, uh, yeah. That seems like a good one to hack on LSD. Oh, yeah. He just couldn't deal with it. Um, which I understand. Like he was really tired. Think of how tired you were in college. Yeah. <laughs> and now multiply it by uh, hallucinogens. Yeah. Yeah. So if I wasn't shooting, co- I wasn't shooting cocaine, but I was drinking sparks. Yeah. <laughs> the so, co- and the- also did so bad in astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> For the same real reason that that Anthony Kiedis didn't do well. Sparks, mm-hmm. the cocaine of the northern Columbus area. <laughs> That's right. Um, so Anthony also starts a joke band with Flea and his roommate Donde called Spigot Blister and the Chest Pimps. Are you guys familiar with this part of the, the, the mythos of, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers? I'm sure I've read that phrase before, but I don't remember it. It's named after the Chest Pimps are, uh, Flea's chest pimples, of course. Gross. Yeah. Nice. Um, so that is Anthony's first taste of making music, um, even though it's a total like goof throwaway. Uh, Anthony says, I had a distinct feeling that even though I didn't have a concrete means of achieving it, that whatever I ended up doing with my life, I wanted to make people feel the way this music was making me feel. The only problem was that I wasn't a guitar player and I wasn't a bass player and I wasn't a drummer and I wasn't a singer. I was a dancer and a party maniac and I didn't quite know how to parlay <laughs> that into a job. But I think Anthony Kiedis made Party Maniac a job. Oh, don't we? Aren't we all just really chasing how uh, those few performances with squeeding fetus and the chest pimples made us feel? <laughs> <laughs> chasing that dragon. What is the name of that band again? It's uh, Spigot Blister and the Chest Pimps. Okay, I wasn't that far <laughs> off. <laughs> it's got a nice like ass- assonance and consonance. I also admire his confidence. To say, I'm not really doing anything here, but I'm really good at it. Right. And I think that's always been Anthony Kiedis' like 
strength in a way is understanding that he doesn't necessarily bring the virtuosity in any kind of technical level, but he's just a one man funky freak. And that just informs the rest. Like I remember reading a Rolling Stone article around like stadium arcadium time for Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) And the writer basically said, if without Anthony Kiedis, RHCP would basically just be a super, super tight jazz funk improvisational band. Like they can just jam for hours mm-hmm. without Anthony Kiedis saying anything weird about his penis. <laughs> and like they could they could just rock on that and play nothing but like the Montreal Jazz Fest forever. <laughs> it That's fascinating to think that were it not for Kiedis yelling about his dick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, RHCP would be the world's greatest uh, smooth jazz fusion band. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> things could be different, but we have the Akitas in the world, so things are the way they are. Uh, we should just go to like the Montreal Jazz Fest and find uh, and pair off uh, jazz fusion bands with maniac drug addicts screaming about their genitals and, yeah. s- and see if we can get a new Red Hot Chili Peppers going. Something tells me that one half of that equation wouldn't be super stoked about it. <laughs> I don't know which one. Well, look, do they want to sell albums or do they want to play jazz? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, at this time, he's kind of in this weird limbo and he self-identifies as a cocaine addict by this point and he starts snorting heroin too because... <laughs> Why not? Um, He has an entry-level job at a film company um, that he promptly loses, and he ends up straight-up homeless with Flea, sleeping in his car, clubbing constantly, and wearing weird, like, outfits and baggy pants. Like, this is just his life, and this is the early 80s at this point. Um, How? It's so hard for me to imagine how you maintain that lifestyle of living in your car and going to clubs. I can imagine... One or the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can barely imagine going to clubs, but I can imagine living in your car. Yeah, sure. I think the thing he sacrifices is like smelling good. Yeah. Right. I guess when in that equation of the thing that has to give. That's that's the sacrifice. Does he say what kind of car it is? He doesn't. Or he, if he does, I don't remember. Later on, he drives a, a matte black Camaro because... The 80s. I guess, yeah, no, this was the 90s at this point. Did I'm I, actually impressed that you have that information, given that it's so mundane. Um, well, I don't think we're going to talk about it in this episode, but there's a reason why he talks about his car, and it's because he's giving Sinead O'Connor driving lessons. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. There's a lot There's a lot more stuff to, to get through before we deal with that. Um, How, why? I know. It might be they the can't... most interesting thing in the whole, in this whole story. Right? Is like his friendship with Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. He's like, got a I weird little w- thing. I want to know, like, was it stick shift or just like how to drive a car? Right. Has she never touched a vehicle in her life? It just doesn't Do seem. Do they not have cars in Ireland? It just doesn't seem like the most efficient use of e- either of their time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it later, but there's, it's, it's a, it's a, odd interlude um but in the meantime just picture in your head anthony kiedis wearing a giant pair of clown pants um, oh i can smelling picture it. horribly up for four days straight because he's been shooting cocaine this is the status we're at right now so february 1983 
um, his friend Gary Allen's band uh, plays a gig and Gary suggests that Flea, Hillel, and Anthony open for his band and just do like a number. So Anthony has been super inspired by the uh, coming of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and he started writing his own raps. And so he writes a song with uh, Flea and Hillel called Out in L.A., and they play it and they're a huge hit at the show. So Anthony basically, it's something that I personally didn't really synthesize in my mind is that he's a rapper. Like he's a rapper first. And you guys can talk more about this because I know you've extensively listened to the first couple of albums. Like before, I've always known, like when I first listened to Red Hot Chili Peppers, he was a singer, yeah, not a rapper. I mean, <laughs> like a little uh, parting the curtain here. Uh, Nathan and I recorded a pilot for a, a a whole podcast just investigating the career of the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, that maybe we'll still pursue after this. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be an album-by-album album look at them. So we dove extensively into the original Red Hot Chili Peppers album, the first Red mm-hmm. Hot Chili Peppers album, which is, I think I can say, uh, without argument or much opposition, uh, garbage. Well, do we oh, want it's, it's awful. Do we want to listen to uh, a song from that? Yeah, we'll throw on something right now. Oh, not the one that's like like the big funky daddy song. Oh, that one's really bad. <laughs> so it's the worst thing I've ever heard. Do you want to play? Because the next thing I'm going to talk about is get up and jump. Do you yes, want to play, we'll play get, get up, up and, and jump? jump? Okay. It certainly feels 80s. Yeah. It has that big empty room sound. <laughs> And Flea's already crushing it early on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the backing vocals are nice. <laughs> so you can hear that sense that it's like a very hard, like funky jazz band and yes. then idiocy. Wrapped over it. So... <laughs> So the circumstance around this album is that they, and you probably have some of this right here, is that they had been touring around L.A. Mm-hmm. for a bit doing this act where uh, Flea, Hillel, and their original drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was Jack Irons their original drummer? Known, is it Cliff Martinez? Cl- Cliff. Cliff Martinez, yeah. They were doing this gimmick around L.A. Uh, where Cliff Martinez, Hillel, Slovak, and Flea mm-hmm. would just destroy on these funky hard instrumental tracks right and then Anthony Kiedis would just yell nonsense didn't he start out introducing them like his role technically was to be like and here are the the, here's the band he he was an MC and then he would just keep going like an idiot in a very um, in a very early hip hop way he was he he emceed the band he would uh he wasn't as much of a lyricist as somebody who is just like stringing the things together and getting mm-hmm. people hype in the crowds. And it worked and it was a great live show and they were becoming incredibly popular. And mm-hmm. then they decided that they're going to do this album. Um, and they're a huge fan of gang of four who rule 
mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands. And it kind of makes sense because Gang of Four has this angry white guy funk uh, sense about them. Mm-hmm. More political, more, I would say, uh, intentional. They all get it together in the studio, and it just does not work. Right? They fucking hate him. And Andy uh, Gill. Yeah, Andy Gill. Um, and Andy Gill is uh, Marxist, uh, strict <laughs> Marxist British professional who is cares very deeply about the technical proficiency of the album. And Anthony Kiedis and Flea are wild cokeheads who like to take yeah. shits in pizza boxes and leave it on the control boards. Right. And it just does not translate at all. And they bring in this uh, like pro studio guitarist guy to do the guitar for it. Uh, and nothing translates the wild energy of the show correctly. And actually being able to hear Kiedis's lyrics at this time. Uh, does not make anything better. Yes. Uh, and so they end up with something that is a total mess that sounds incredibly artificial. It doesn't really represent where they are right now. Uh, and it's kind of amazing that the band made it past this album, mm-hmm. given what a train wreck it is. That was basically Anthony Kiedis's sentiment was like, it's it's good that we got past that because like it, that sucked and was not the album that we should have made. Um, but it's the album they did make. I was just gonna say that um, I have I've not read the whole book, but I have like I have the audiobook narrated by Ryder Strong from the original Cabin Fever film. Interesting. Of, uh, um, <laughs> but I remember there was a part in that section where uh, Anthony Kiedis is talking about the the pro guitar player they bring in, and either it's like he tunes his guitar or he cleans his guitar in mm. a way that that Anthony describes as gay. <laughs> No, <laughs> and like not 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 like back then. I thought it was gay, but like in hindsight, as a fifty year old, that was oh very God. gay of him. Wait, was was this the guy who has the like what the special wax to help? Um, yeah, his his uh the fingerboard the frat frats the finger it helps his fingers dance over the frats or something, and it's yeah. called like guitar right. string ease or something. Yeah, fret dance grease. Yeah, well, this clearly bothered Anthony Kiedis enough that he he dedicated at least a page of his book to it look Kiedis doesn't hold grudges but he carves out an, ex- an exception for this guy and his greased guitar yeah my other favorite detail from that recording session uh, Nathan if you remember it is that Andy Gill wanted uh, Cliff to play with, against a drum machine track just to keep time like literally a click, like track, a click like, track yeah oh yeah 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 but uh, Anthony flips out because he thinks that the machine doesn't have any soul to it uh, and he won't it'll strip the soul from the music and they get in a huge fight over this and the eventual compromise is that uh, Cliff will listen to the click track and then play a snare track to the clicks so it's pa pa and then they'll record the snare track and play it for the rest of the band so that the rest of the band can listen to Cliff playing to the click track. Mm-hmm. That will preserve the soul of the music. Sure. And you can very just you can just hear that soul dripping from every note of the self-titled debut of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Give me daddy a kiss, girl. My God. 
That sounds like some, uh, uh, what's the guy in Mad Men who freaked out about computers and cut his nipple off? Ginsburg, yeah. Yeah, yes. that's the exact, uh, that's the exact what happened, except he just didn't lose a nip. Thank God. He just took a shit in a pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, listeners, this is not a metaphor. Like, they actually did poop in pizza boxes and deliver them to their producer. The yeah. man who was producing their first album. A man who they they like loved and respected. Right. And sought and they invited sought to the project. They sought out. That's like so, yeah. that's so ridiculous. Um, but they didn't care. And this was at a time in the music industry where you could deliver a, you know, a shit pizza to your producer and no one dropped you from your label. They, there's multiple stories in this book of them just running like crazy people around the record label building just like being weird i think at one point they were they just like ran naked into a conference room like with a meeting going on it was like uh, total mayhem i mean i think fiddler does that all the time probably <laughs> and that's why yeah, we and, love and them. fiddler definitely has the uh, cash making clout to behave exactly like <laughs> high period red hot chili peppers <laughs> what were they yeah. the uh 17th uh, listed band for the FYF Fest of three years ago. Oh, Yeah, they, they probably did like a Mountain Dew green label sound track. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I actually love Fidl- Fiddler. And I love Mountain Dew. What do you love, Nathan? <laughs> um, cheap beer. Just like Fiddler. My, my bros and Fiddler. <laughs> Bringing it all back around. Um, so, you know, they, this band is extremely nascent. Uh, they play their first song, Naked, um, which is a cover of Jimi Hendrix's Fire. Uh, Anthony Kiedis says of playing nude, you're young and you're not jaded yet. And so the idea of being naked and playing this beautiful music with your best friends and generating so much energy and color and love in a moment of being nude is great. But you're not only nude, you've also got this giant image of a phallus going for you. Those were long socks. (laughs) So they were enhanced a little bit with the sock size. I think a, any uh, performance studies uh, type person worth their salt would recognize the uh, intentionality of the uh, absurdly enhanced phallus sure. in the early Red Hot Chili Peppers performance and how uh, that kind of visual symbolism emphasized the machismo inherent in lyrics <sighs> to songs like Mommy, Where's Daddy? <laughs> You know, playing, making this beautiful color and music, and it's just like, get up and jump, get up and jump, get up get up jump. It also, it bums me out to think that to read any like cynicism and jadedness into their later work, like Danny California and Hump to Bump, <laughs> <laughs> did they never play those songs nude? Because... That's how, that's how you know the deep cynicism under which Anthony Kiedis wrote Hump to Bump. Right. So, like, when they were recording with Danger Mouse, mm-hmm. like, he never got nude in front of Danger Mouse? <laughs> no, because he had lost that sincerity. He couldn't be completely honest in front of DM. Things got dark in the pants. But Rick Rubin's on. seen him nude, right? I'm sure Rick Rubin has seen them nude, like, hundreds of times. It's like, a, he can't, like, that's what he sees on the, like, inside of his sunglasses is the nude chili peppers. <laughs> it's burned into his retinas. Yeah. 
Or just like, you know, like if you say someone's name, you think you have like a picture of them in your head of like, mm-hmm. you know, their maybe their default outfit or something. And like if you went up to Rick Rubin, we're like, hey, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, he would just think of their their sh- their terry cloth wrapped schlongs. <laughs> 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 uh, OK, so at this time, Anthony meets a girl named Jennifer who he describes as a natural-born super freak whose tendency in life was to look like the inside of an oyster shell. I love that description. It, there's pictures of her in this book, and she's got the classic 80s like mohawk in a like painted yellow and pink and wearing crazy outfits, and she's really cute. Um, but they have a romantic and turbulent and ultimately drug-filled codependent relationship. This will be a pattern. <laughs> Just because it's the first time makes it, I guess, the most interesting, but this will be the blueprint for every single relationship, more or less, that Anthony Kiedis has in his lifetime. Uh, other than early math not big on learning lessons no and he seems enlightened in, in so many weird ways um but then some things it's just like very classic you know do the same thing over and over and expect sometimes it's easier to uh do drugs with a beautiful oyster than it is to not <laughs> it is to not <laughs> yes Lo- i love doing drugs out of oysters um and then Red Hot Chili Peppers goes through some personnel changes, they, even as they get their first record deal. So like Halal quits for a while and he comes back um, and their drummer quits for a while and then Flea almost quits um, because he's so pissed at Anthony being a drug addled loony um, that, you know, he's missing rehearsals and missing recording sessions and is super unreliable. But Anthony says to him, Flea, you can't quit. I'm going to be the James Brown of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys aware that he's like that? That was a thing that he said. That Yo, was a new amazing. one to me. Yeah, that's he's, amazing. It's kind of true. Not wrong. Yeah, I mean that's a pattern in these memoirs, right? Is like people are oddly prescient about their careers and lives. Yeah, well, isn't like, that kind of the one of the parts of ticket ticket to success is uh, knowing what your brand is and what lane you need to be in, and then doing the work to get in that, even if that, mm-hmm. even slash especially if that means that everything else in your life can be total drug fueled to garbage as I long mean, as you can every time you get on stage be quote unquote the James Brown of the eighties. What is, what else is Anthony <laughs> Kiedis going to do? Like, I think he's figured it out at this point. But like, there is not a normal life for him. It's like you put in all his qualifications into one of those career sorting machines, <laughs> like everything about his life and you put it in and turn its dials and it beeps and boops. And the only thing that it could possibly fit spit out is it says here that your perfect job is the James Brown of the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, like to hire you to repair these telephones, but you're really just too much of a James Brown of the 80s. You're, you know, there's like ESFJ, INFP, and JB80. <laughs> that's the fit, that's the, or the, you know, 17th type that no one talks yeah. about because there are only a couple. Really, only one. <laughs> I mean, my birth sign is Scorpio, but I'm a James Brown of the 80s rising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Red Hot Chili Peppers' first album comes out. We've spoken about this album. We've listened to this album. It is an it's an album. That's about it. That's a very generous thing. It is a collection of it. songs that thing. came out on a compact disc. Um, so for they go connoisseurs only for yeah for for the real heads. Um, they go on a raucous tour to support it. it 
what else would they do? Um, at a stop in New Orleans, uh, Anthony Yakitas has sex backstage with a Marilyn Monroe lookalike, only to have her divulge, my father's the chief of police and the entire state of Louisiana is looking for me because I've gone missing. Oh, and besides that, I'm only 14. Oh, no. Oh, those pepper boys sure got in some trouble that night. <laughs> This is. I feel like all of his tour stories are very like Huck Finn picaresque. Just <laughs> like you know, choose your own adventure of you know person like weird person plus weird sex story plus like angry bandmates who he's whose room he used to to have sex in. Does he ever get conned by grifters pretending to be French nobility? Not that he says, but I can't. It's possible. Does he ever <laughs> fake his own death? Yes. I mean, well, he almost <laughs> dies several, you know, doing too much heroin is sort of like faking your own death. That's true. In a way. Yeah. Flea, you can't cl- quit this band. I've got to be the Huck Finn of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um, then they're ready to do their second album. George Clinton, they choose to produce it. Um, this is Freaky Styly. Uh, well, you guys can describe what your thoughts of the album, but of the recording process, Anthony says, we'd order the Popeye's chicken and we'd order the cocaine. And if you could eat the chicken before you got too high in the Coke, you'd have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the recording of Freaky Styly in a nutshell, is it seems like it was a constant balance between trying to get your work done in between getting so high that you never want to, you know, eat or do anything again. Yeah, I mean, who among us has not engaged in a process that is a delicate balance between chicken and drugs? Who who among us? Yeah, who could cast the first stone here? So let's listen to a little bit of this. It's where it starts to come together in a more fully formed way. Uh, I feel like we have to play a little bit of sex rap because that seems to be the most uh, definitive statement of purpose of this era of the band. Yeah, that sounds right. You got sex, you got rap. Does he say the word funk in every song until Blood Sugar Sex Magic possibly? He says it in a few songs in Blood Sugar Sex Magic too. I think it's mostly just a slow weaning out over the entirety of the career, but the limit it's you know, the limit approaches zero but never hits zero. Is is Anthony Kiedis rapping funk the Will Smith oh hell no of music? <laughs> Other than yes. <laughs> uh, also, I think you could tell just between that and Get Up and Jump, like a little more fully formed, a little mm-hmm. uh, uh, more solidified the idea. He only repeats words twice yep. in a row other than four and five times. So you only hear funk. Funk instead of funk, 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 funk. funk. <laughs> yeah, he, just, he doesn't make an entire verse out of one word. Uh, Nathan, do you have anything to say about this album? Uh, well, it's it is it's better. It's a lot denser. Mm-hmm. It's a little more considered in a weird way. I guess because George Clinton's there and has a better like George Clinton makes more sense than Andy Gill. Yeah, to record an album of theirs. I mean, and also George I, Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic have recorded a billion albums both mm-hmm. as Funkadelic and Parliament and they're all consistently funky but also kind of all over the place in style from weird space funk opera to pretty concise and traditional R&B or, or more Motownish songs so I, he, I think he has a little more of a versatile style while also be 
being incredibly attuned to the weird uh, mm-hmm. and wild. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Andy Gill, but he is uh, nothing. Gang of Four is nothing if not incredibly, almost uh, uh, mechanically precise. I was going to say fascistically, but again, they're uh, uh, deeply Marxist. Sure. Um, yeah. don't, don't get it twisted. I, I also feel like uh, Sex Rap, <clears throat> like as a live song, that's the kind of thing where you could like stretch out and sing other songs in the middle of it, like like Black Betty, or <laughs> like like Tutti Fruity. <laughs> like you could just like start scatting all kinds of like dumb horse shit. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of that. Um. So you said that there's something about Yertle the Turtle, Molly. Yeah, I just played the beginning of Yertle the Turtle. All right. Look at that turtle go, bro. I'm a Bowie Island of the Solomon I said, a year of the turtle to was a king of the pond. Okay, so you can cut it. That's all we needed. That guy at the beginning that says, look at that turtle go, bro, is a drug dealer that George Clinton owed money to. <laughs> and that was the way he paid him was saying you can you can feature on a song with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Were they notable enough at this time that that was a reward? Kind of. It's Or at least to this like two-bit Coke dealer. Um, apologies. Like that was an ex. That was some excellent vocal work. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seemed. I guess there was enough glamour in the recording process that it was an acceptable payment for what I assume was at least thousands of dollars worth of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was kind of the deal, right? Is that they um, Does the he album get royalties? What? Does he That's get? Did he get royalties? Question. I don't know. He might be set up for life if he's. That Still that is something I would love. We should get the Planet Money guys on this. Mm. Uh, I would love to hear for a band as worldwide famous as the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who are among probably the you know upper tier most played bands in the world. If you have a featuring on one of the more obscure songs from one of their back albums, mm-hmm. thirty years later, mm-hmm. what, what kind of kind scratch, of scratch are you seeing from that? Yeah. It could still be very easily in the thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. More lucrative than cocaine? Yeah, certainly. Maybe. I feel like it might go the other way where it's like Brain's been knocking down their door to try and get Girl to the Turtle on like the Cadbury egg commercial. And they're like, no, we're not paying that Coke dealer a cent more. <laughs> they're like, yeah. we have this whole mascot, like Yertle the Turtle. Like, we're going to, you know, he's going to sell like. Uh, you know, cheddar cheese or something to kids, and we really want them to be like in the commercial. Seth Rogen's tried to put it in every movie he's ever made, but they just can't get the the rights to spite no. that, that Coke dealer. Um. So yeah, they record their second album. Meanwhile, uh, Anthony's relationship with Jennifer gets more volatile. There's a legendary show where uh, Anthony is kind of like on the rocks with Jennifer. She's been flirting with a dude in a different band. And he's kind of straying to uh, and then this topless chick comes on stage and dances suggestively with Anthony during their cover of Foxy Lady. So a lot of stuff happens around <laughs> Jimi Hendrix songs, which I find interesting. So Anthony's like vibing with this woman uh sound shirt and then jennifer runs on stage and literally throws the woman like 
basically as if she's the Hulk, like throws her off of Anthony and then starts trying to beat Anthony up and he has to like run away from her. <laughs> and I say this all with detail, not only because Anthony described it in the book, but it was caught on video and you can watch it on YouTube. So I would encourage people <laughs> to watch this on YouTube. It's shockingly good quality for something shot on what I assume was like a camcorder in the mid eighties. It's crazy. This girl, like she just comes out of nowhere and throws this chick off of Anthony. Like it's nothing. This is amazing. Yeah. And I that have is, to go watch that afterwards. It's, it's like when uh, Marky Smith's wife hit him in the face with that rotary telephone. <laughs> <laughs> is that also caught on video? Either the assault is, or like he played a show after with like all his teeth knocked out, and that's on video. Oh my god! Yeah, isn't that Marky Smith's thing though? That all his teeth are out. Yeah, because he got hit with like a rotary phone. Oh, this like is the origin story of Marky Smith's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thoral history, literally. <laughs> um, so of this time in his life, Anthony says, I wasn't setting goals or working on my character defects. I was just a <laughs> fucked up drug addict. Like there's nothing else to really say. He's just like a total shitbag at this time. He gets kicked out of the band for doing too many drugs. So they, he's out of the band. And meanwhile, they win some kind of like L.A. weekly, like best band in L.A. award. <laughs> and Anthony is downtown at the same time that it's happening and watches them accept it on st- you know, the award on stage. And they don't say anything to him. And he's just like really upset and sad. And it kind of inspires him to detox eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so he like goes home to Michigan. He detoxes at a Salvation Army, as one does. Um, he comes back to L.A., flees like dude, like we need you back in the band. Please come back. He gets back in the band and he's immediately starts using drugs again. Like this is just, it's like sneezing. Like it's just something that automatically seems to happen for years and years and years and years. I just imagine as he leaves, as soon as he leaves the band to go to back to Michigan, they immediately revert back to a jazz fusion trio. Right. They're just like, so we're just going to jam for four hours with nary a lyric. And just once someone has to pee, like then we'll stop. Yeah. I'm just going to do chromatic bass scales. at super (laughs) fast speed for the next two and a half hours. And then I'm pulling out the trumpet. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's, it's hard to describe in a recap, the level of drugs that, he's doing like it's and especially like we just watched his uh the red hot chili peppers carpool karaoke with good old james corden and like seeing him now is he's like kind of ripped and he looks good relatively good he had an unfortunate like haircut his facial hair situation whatever anthony kiedis is doing with his facial hair and hair hair right now is a crime it's and a, he should be put away for it he should be charged with sex he's crimes had a for mustache his hair, for like five for his facial years hair. right don't be so carceral chris my god i'm sorry i it's the way i feel and the way that the law should work you're anti-prison industrial complex except for anthony kiedis who should be in a prison by himself hair prison hair prison yeah it's easy to get out of you just have to get a haircut to shave everything uh um so yeah it's weird that like he looks pretty good now and looks very healthy and like at the time he was just riddled with stimulants and depressants my god um but he finally ends things with jennifer it gets too crazy for him and he meets uh the actress iona sky and so he says from the moment i laid eyes on her i knew that goddess was going to be my girlfriend it was a few days before her 16th birthday and she looked like she'd come out of a fairy tale book he's 24 at the time well, now that we know, and in his defense, 
he was in the same relationship of backwards. What? What do you mean? When 16 and dating a 24-year-old. That's true. So he's, is that what Joni Mitchell wrote? Like, I've seen life from both sides now, like, yeah, from it, up and down. She was singing about Anthony and still somehow li- <laughs> sex life, right? I don't know love at all. <laughs> yeah, she, she was singing about Anthony Kiedis like 20 years before he existed. No, but seriously, though, that's gross. Not ideal. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like she was <laughs> mature for her age, but like, come on. Yeah. And she was there- 15. Like Catholic schoolgirls rule is that on? Freaky yeah, that's Styling? on. That's on Freaky Styling. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think that actually might have been inspired by the Marilyn Monroe lookalike um, who had the whole state of Louisiana looking after her. Off the double. Oh, wait, did that. they? Did they like catch him and like throw like one of the old drummers in a bog or something? Like, yeah. Did anything happen there? Um, I mean, what's the, I guess what's the statute of limitations on statutory? Because he must have been careful about he must. I, I assume he must have talked to a lawyer before he published this because there's some sensitive information, information. in here. Yeah, I don't know. Is Boss Hog still out there uh, looking for those Pepper Boys? <laughs> the Pepper Boys, <laughs> the dastardly Peppers, the Pepper Gang. Um, so he starts dating Iona. Iona eventually. She's um, an actress, right? She's an actress. So there are like people around her who are in the industry that know she's dating this 24-year-old drug addict and are like, no, this is good and fine. Yeah, right. Is Will nobody look out for anybody else here? It, it always boggles my mind when, when famos can get themselves into these, these kinds of situations. I mean, clearly this still happens, but I would say even more so back then is that there wasn't any attention to this kind of thing. And that's like the same kind of climate that like River Phoenix came out of eventually. You know what I mean? Like Hollywood is freaking crazy. Um, Same thing happened to Rivers Cuomo. Right. You know what I was just saying the other (laughs) day is that uh, River Phoenix has a sibling named um, who renamed himself rather Leaf. And Rivers oh. Cuomo has a brother yeah. named Leaves. So there are two river leaf duos in the world. I mean, RIP one of the rivers, but I just thought, I think that's well, so crazy. There is also a conspiracy on the Weezer official message board. Okay. In are, like you, are, you, are you a mod on that? Uh, I, I was, but I got permabanned for... Um, <laughs> Well, I I made some disparaging comments about Brian Bell's uh, like the the way he held his guitar. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and, you you uh, were ragging on his neck grease, right? Just like mm-hmm. Kitas. Yeah, yeah. I said some I said some bad things, and I got perm banned. Mm. And you know that's that's fair. That's I respect that decision. But there was in a true conspiracy that. In between Pinkerton and the Green Album, Rivers died and they replaced him with Leaves. And that's why the songs didn't have that soul and passion that they used to have. Whoa. And not that Rivers spent like the inter- the intervening years dealing with like the failure by like sitting in a in an empty room and bouncing a Super Bowl against a wall. Right. That's like that's what Vipassana meditation is, right? It's just playing with a koosh ball. Yeah. In a room by yourself. <laughs> I thought the thing was that Rivers Cuomo uh, determined a system to use math and graphs and charts to, to to write the perfect pop songs. It wasn't him. It's it's the other. It's a replacement. It's, it's I I baby. love conspiracy theories like that. Mm-hmm. Like the one that where C like Beyonce has kidnapped Sia. 
um, and has <laughs> imprisoned her and she writes all of her songs for her. Oh, which is why nobody ever sees Sia. Yeah, it's why no one sees her and why uh, and people keeps thinking that she um, like gives signals in public appearances like if she scratches her face or like blinks her eye twice it means help me <laughs> help me beyonce has taken me prisoner sia tell us if you need help yeah <laughs> actually couldn't you just like pay sia money yeah i, I but it's the it's, knowledge that she's truly yours yeah like all great conspiracy <laughs> theories uh it has the benefit of not making any sense who, who needs to do that ugh um, anyway, so at this point, Red Hot Chili Peppers record the Uplift MoFo party plan and hit the road again. Um, and it's just kind of like the end of the line for both Anthony and Halal. Like we hear, we don't hear a ton about Halal other than like he's just Anthony's like OG friend from way back, his day one, if you will. And, but Halal's got a heroin problem that is as bad as Anthony's. And yet everyone is always worried about Anthony. Like, oh my God, like it seems like you're going to die. Like you need to get your shit together because Anthony's way more like obvious and public about it. But like, meanwhile, Hillel's behind the scenes doing the exact same thing, but being more like subtle. And it results in him basically like fading out and fading into this horrible addiction. Um, So by the time that uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers do their first proper European tour, uh, Hillel's really in a bad place in the way Anthony describes it. He says he didn't have the look in his eye that said, yeah, I'm losing, but I'm going to fight this thing through. Instead, he was wailing. I can't do this. I'm dying here. So like Hillel's just like not he's not in a good place. The band comes back from Europe. Hillel and Anthony's like part ways so they can each go binge. And then Iona calls Anthony freaking out and she says Hillel OD'd. So he died. Which is really sad. That's incredibly tragic. Like this dude that he's known since early high school. It's Yikes. terrible also that suffering privately mm-hmm. was maybe the thing that doomed him. Mm-hmm. That the public, the very public, what might seem more conspicuous, gross, uh, hurt like hurts pit- other people more uh, uh, addiction of Kiedis at least kept eyes on him enough that mm-hmm. when he was really spiraling, people were like, go to Michigan and get your sh- Michigan and get your shit sh- sorted out. Yeah. And being able to be competent enough to keep your suffering private mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Shame, just a general management, uh, ended up being more damaging to poor Halal. Yeah, exactly. And so this is in 1988 that this happened. Um, he was 26. So he wasn't even 27, which is kind of weird. Um, but Anthony is so freaked out and so still zonked on heroin that he, A, turn, he says he turns off his brain and he's like, this is not reality. He's completely in denial. And it's not like hearing that his one of his best friends OD'd on the same drugs that he uses. Um, changed his usage he continued on his bender he's like you feel invincible like you feel like just because it happened to him doesn't mean it's going to happen to me and then he also misses his funeral he doesn't go to his friend's funeral and he's like people got really mad at me for that but the way I, the only way I can sort of defend myself or describe it is that it it just didn't seem real like the entire experience didn't seem real and I was so like 
lost that I couldn't deal with it. So this is what in like the literary world we call a nadir. <laughs> yes. Um, shit. Yeah, shit is real. Uh, yeah, that's that's a real uh, fucking bummer. Yep. Um, and it's you know what? It's it's not the fun, open, free, loving party times that Red Hot Chili Peppers is all about. Crazy to think of the band of a band that makes this kind of music. Uh, suffering like that in the background because in the meantime they're playing shows with songs like anyway their part their shows are pure fun and meanwhile all the guys are suffering yeah except i guess flea yeah, uh, I mean, Flea's like Flea, I don't think right now. is doing so hot either. It seems like I mean it's a a shitty time for everybody. Um, I forget which drummer it is at this point, but the drummer quits, um, and their guitarist is dead, and it's just Anthony and Flea, and Flea's kind of like, "What the hell is going on? Like people keep dropping like flies all around me. Like why are you still doing drugs?" Um, so I think that's where we're going to leave the band for today. Yes. Um, because obviously we know they eventually crawl their way back out of this hole, but how do they do it? Does Anthony stop doing drugs? No, he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned for the exciting conclusion. Uh, I was trying to tease that as if that it could be like a, oh, I don't know. Will he? Won't he? Yeah, he will. He's going to do a lot more drugs before this whole thing is over. But uh, I think that's where we have to leave it is at this. It's a turning point for the band, certainly, because eventually what comes out of it is one of their biggest creative renaissances, literally. Well, it's crazy that they are this productive over this amount of time mm-hmm. while being this dysfunctional as an organization. Yeah. Totally. And they're still very a very minor success. Yes. At this point. They're, they haven't even had a gold record yet. Yeah. They they're they're basically making money, if I remember correctly, uh, as like a fun party band at colleges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not yeah. playing anything bigger than that, doing doing some barely sustainable national tours. Mm-hmm. Getting to Europe just the once. Yeah. Barely barely making it to Europe. Um I don't even think they hit like the Bogarts circuit until like Mother's Milk. Bogarts is uh, the local. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bogarts is the like 300. What do you think Bogarts is, Nathan? Yeah, 300 sounds about right. Like yeah. the 300 person uh, 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 garage venue in Cincinnati where Nathan and I grew up. Okay. Uh, where we, we used to go see bands like, oh, I don't know, the Bouncing Souls. Uh, Real Big Fish. Great. Uh, Flogging Molly. Love it, love um, it. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, Less Than Jake. <laughs> Goldfinger. Gold Frap. No, that's not right. Did you see Gold Frap? That'd be pretty cool. That was a, That's a different band from a different era. I was thinking about Goldfinger also. <laughs> they were good. Um, wow. So, that's sad. Yeah. I mean, listen... I don't think anybody should do heroin. And that's just something that on this podcast, we're probably going to come back to again and again. That's just facts. That's just facts. Like 
you, it's not something you want to get involved in. You know what I mean? It just it continues to boggle me that people can maintain heroin addictions and then also be in a raucous party band. Yeah, that's the thing is like, at least I feel like in the in the early 90s with grunge, it kind of matched up sonically, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've never done heroin, but I can understand the sort of analog between a heroin feeling and the sludgy, grungy, turgid rock of the era. But like Red Hot Chili Peppers sound, I mean, they sound like a cocaine band and certainly <laughs> the kids was doing his fair share of coke, but they're, like, they're just, they're uppers, man. I don't know. I just want to hear more. I want to know more about like how Anthony is feeling about this. Like what, what perspective does he have? Like what, how old was he when he wrote this book? Um, that's a great question. It came out in 2004 and oh. he was born in 1962. Um, so 42. So 42. It's so this, does this even hit like stadium arcadium? No, no, wow. this is the last one. It's po- just post by the way, I believe it's a early in career memoir, mm-hmm. which has, is how, you know, he's seen some shit. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, it's early in career, but still like pretty late in career when you've considered how long, <laughs> like I didn't realize that the the peps were in the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. When did they go in the like four, maybe four years ago? Wow. Yeah. Who inducted them? I, I mean, like it wouldn't be like Eddie Vedder or Dave Grohl or somebody It doesn't really like it fits like the era, but not like, I don't think those guys were friends unless I'm mistaken. And there's like a great Eddie Vedder, Anthony Kiedis story in, in this book. <laughs> I don't I don't think that they would get along. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm looking this up like a huge prude. Chris Rock. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Not Bob Rock. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Do you, are you sure you don't mean funk rock? <laughs> or Chris Funk from the Decembers? Chris Funk. <laughs> um, this was a this was a stacked fame class. Uh, BC Boys, um, the Faces, the Peps, um, Guns and Roses was in this one, and then Donovan. <laughs> you know, kind of round things out. Uh, that we are the world style medley they did at the end of it was very weird. Donovan and Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Uh, Wait, so what was Anthony's mindset at this time? Or looking back at this time? It seems like he... I mean, he's coming at it from a obviously a much more mature place in some ways in the sense that I think he realized that he screwed up by detaching so thoroughly from the whole situation um, because at the time I think it seemed like the only thing that he could have ever done but he I do have to applaud him like he's done some scummy stuff he's definitely a sketchy man but at the same time he admits all this stuff and we learn we know all this stuff because he writes it and it's hard to put out all of the ugly parts of you in your book at one point early on he's he writes about his childhood that he like makes friends with this little group of kittens that he finds on the street and he 
obviously mostly just cuddles with them and does cute kitten things. But one of them, he he says he started like basically bossing it around and like yelling at it because it was a release for him because he had some sort of pent up aggression and weird feelings about his family situation, yada, yada. Um, and like that was kind of a weird but interesting thing to put in the book. So I feel like I appreciate that he really lets it all hang out there. Sock and all. Sock and all. That could be a good name for the memoir. Yeah. <laughs> like like shock and all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Everything but the sock. Uh, yeah. I mean, confession doesn't necessarily mean forgiveness, but it's a good start. Right. Uh, so, with the untimely death of Hillel, we leave you uh, cliffhanged on this episode of And Introducing. Nathan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully we'll come back next. Hopefully we'll have you back next time. Oh yeah, I'm. I don't do anything. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with Anthony Kiedis is Scar Tissue Part Two. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at and Intro Pod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail Our SoundCloud is at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod uh, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and you should rate and review us too but like only if you're going to be positive Posi Vibes only on the review page dudes Posi Vibes only uh, until then I've been Chris Wade I'm Molly O'Brien I'm Molly O'Brien